0: Assalamualaikum Warahmatullahi Wabarakatuh Welcome to Convert Centra I'm Kevin Sidik Lim, the host of Convert Centra and I'd like to welcome you to Season 3 of Convert Central. Our podcast focuses on the challenges that Muslim converts face along their conversion journey to help Muslims from all backgrounds to find a strong foothold in Islam Follow our Instagram and LinkedIn page at Convert Centra and I look forward to sharing with you all the beneficial series we planned for the year For now, I'd like to welcome you to Season 3 of Convert Centra Welcome back to Convert Centra So Alhamdulillah at this point of time, we are at episode 4 of Thinking It True. So for those who are just listening on the first time they are touching base with this series, right? we actually recommend you guys to start all the way from either episode 1 or on the IG live that we have stored on our Instagram TV. So that will actually uh give you guys a good foundation about understanding the topics and questions that we're going to address today. So just a little bit about Thinking It Through as a series before I pass the time on to our guest speakers today. Uh, Thinking It Through is basically our attempt with Ustaz uh, Dr. Mubarak to answer some of the big theological questions people have about religion in general and also about islam so obviously big questions we attempt to answer it with a proper framework and we try to give as much context as we can to help everybody understand uh, the questions and the answers that we are sharing Uh, that requires a lot of work a lot of uh you know building on of knowledge so as as with all our different series which are normally independent of each other in the episodes in the series uh for thinking it through we it's actually sequential uh, what we are sharing in this episode will build on from whatever you understand from episode 1, 2 and 3. And also from the Instagram live. So that's why we recommend all of you guys to start early on. Uh, all the way from the Instagram live and then build up from there. So now today, um, we are going to explore something very, very interesting. Uh, that that uh, means that we have very big questions once again to ask Ustaz Dr Mubarak. Uh, one of the questions I'm just going to say first before we hand the time over to him is that why does Allah not make me die early if I'm going to be a sinner? So we are attempt to answer that later. But before we go into that, let me just uh, introduce some of our guest speakers here today. Uh, other than Ustaz Dr. Mubarak, whom we've already introduced in the first episode, we also have Sister Sharon with us. So uh, Alhamdulillah, I'll just get Sister Sharon to um, share a little bit about herself before we discuss some of the queries that she has as a Muslim regarding the topic that we're going to address today. So Aziz, Bismillah, maybe you can tell us a little bit more about yourself. Um, okay,
1: Bismillahirrahmanirrahim alaikum all, um, brothers and sisters. Can uh, you guys know that? My name is Sharon. I go by the conversion name of Nurul Ayin. Uh, a little bit about myself is that I converted when I was like 21 years old. So, uh, background on it was that I actually grew up in a orphanage home from the age of 2 to 18 years old. So, uh, it was really a childhood whereby I spent most of my life in a Christian home. I came to know about Islam actually at a very young age. I mean during school days and all that, but it wasn't so uh I wasn't so interested in it and all because it really did not occur to me that actually there's more than just what we, we know, you know, in terms of when we when we see a lot of friends of us they say, oh they're Muslim, that kind of thing. But then when I was uh probably like seventeen, I mean I was like eighteen years old, yeah. Sorry, I commented when I was 21. So when I was about like 17, 18 years old, when I actually left the home, uh, life was actually very, really, very hard for me because from someone who grew up in an orphanage, um, who had everything provided for her, and when I had to leave the home, it was really a tough time for me because I didn't have anyone to reach out to. I didn't have a family to say that, okay, um, I'm going to be like there, you know, holding up your hand and, and probably lead you to where... Um, you are lost and all so it was really a very tough moment during my teenage years all the way to when I was like uh, probably I, I think throughout my whole life I, I kind of survived on my own uh, it's really a tough trip because to learn how to live a life outside of a nature was really very tough so uh, as I go a little bit on when I was about 18 years old like I said um Actually, what really got me to really want to know more about Islam is because there was this time where I was hanging out with some of my girlfriends at a point of the moment and uh, we were at around the corner that was hanging around. So that some of like there was this some of the, uh, uh, there was this random guy they were speaking to and all that. And this guy was kind of um asking me actually whether if I was uh, what what's my name and all. I mean I say my name is Sharon. She thought that how come I'm a Muslim and you know, um, why is my name Sharon? I'm like, no, I'm not a Muslim. Um, yeah, I mean my friends are all Malay, but no, I, I'm not a Muslim. And and she he came out like kind of asking me, What are you? And I'm like, oh no, I'm actually a Christian. And I don't know what came into this person, uh, this guy. I think it's all actually thanks to him that got me want to be interested more in Islam because he he said one thing, he said, you know, um you Christian believes in in um in, in, in the Bible and as Muslims we believe in the Quran. I think yeah definitely. But then uh, you guys believe that Jesus is the Son of God. But we believe that there's Jesus too. But to us he's the prophet. He's like if you're really interested maybe you can ask your friends and all that. So I'm like, okay, fine. Um and and I don't know it after that particular next few days, it totally just got into me. I'm like, okay, uh really this, this kind of way he put it in such a way whereby it just makes me want to go and learn even more. So what happens was I was asking random friends and all that. And when I start to learn that, uh, learn the prophets, uh, uh, the, the story of the prophets that, um, how our brothers and sisters in Islam, were, you know, uh, that, that they learned since when they were young. So it got me all to way when I learn about um, our beloved Prophet Muhammad. So when I learn about him, about the patience that he had in life, um, the struggles that he go through and all that, and I come telling myself, I'm like, okay, he's going, he was like going through so many obstacles in life. And I'm like, okay, you know, Sharon, you're pitting yourself, you're staying in a home and you're coming out. Just, this, this is just a little thing for me. So I'm like, that's it. I told myself like, actually, there's more than just, you know, Islam. Because a friend of mine who was really a uh, very, uh, a friend of mine who was a born Muslim, she was really very nice. She actually told me the thing was that actually in Islam, it doesn't force you to do anything it depends on how you really want to go and learn and how you get things the way you want and when i learn about how they at the point of the moment how they have to fast how they actually had to um how they actually have to like uh do the five time spray and all that with the solid and all that's when that was when i actually got the interest and all so but at the point of the moment i i i think took the decision uh without thinking of anything honestly i didn't think of like I had to memorize the Quran or oh, I didn't think that, okay, I had to memorize Al-Fateha and all that. But all I just found myself, one thing is that I want to revert. And my friend was like thinking, Sharon, this is a no joke thing. You know, I'm like, no, I'm not joking. I really want to revert. I really want to convert. So I think Allah Ta'ala works in this mysterious way because um, when I wanted to convert, I really didn't know anyone because I knew I needed to have weakness and all. But I actually met um, this wonderful sister whose husband is also a revert. And um. At that point, a moment, uh, I kind of uh, talked to her and said, that, How is it that I can actually convert? And she was kind enough to actually be my witness. So she and her husband was my witness. And I remember the date that when I converted on that very day, I think it was close to Madrid. I was only like 21. And uh, I, I started, uh, and without saying, without thinking twice, without thinking twice, um, actually on the very day when I wanted to, when I knew I had uh, it was going to be my convention day, it was a bit sad because I didn't have a family or anything with me. I didn't have any friends or anything because I had a few friends who know that I want to convert. And when they found out that I wanted to convert, they kind of like, Sharon, I think our friendship ends here. I mean, those kind of people have this kind of negative thing like, you know, um, if you want to, um, you know, converting is not what you're supposed to be. You know, if you convert, then, you know, we should not be friends, that kind of thing. So I didn't think twice or anything. Uh, there was a bit of like challenging with, you know, this mind was saying that, oh, Sharon, when you convert, Today, you know, you know, you cannot start eating Chinese food and all that. And I'm like, why is this really? Uh, it was really a challenging time at the very same day, but uh, I think somehow, Alhamdulillah, I think my move I think I think I was really very strong in, in thinking of the positive side. So I converted the year 2008. I remember that one moment, but I think Allah Ta'ala works in this mysterious way in such a way whereby um, despite the obstacles that I faced a lot by being able to be independent and trying to survive and all that, somehow either he actually uh, I think guided me along the way. I had so many people that came in and helped me whereby I, I managed to have a place to stay. I managed have uh managed to have, you know, uh, a job and all that. And I really learned all about life. So Alhamdulillah I'm actually married um since when I was twenty five. I think it's been seven years already. Yeah I think the the most the 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 thing is that um I always keep telling myself until to be very they are. And no matter how tough life is, just remember how much of, how much of, of obstacles that uh, the Prophet posed to. So I always put it in a positive way. Yeah.
0: Alhamdulillah. Thank you so much for sharing with us your comment story. Um, MashaAllah. I'd I- I like to share just one or two pointers. Um, I think it's amazing that like um, for you, you came into Islam because someone asked you a question. And what we are doing here uh, in our series is actually answering more questions. I think it's really the contemplation that brings someone much closer to Allah and religion in general. Mm-hmm. When we think um, that's maybe a way to get to understand uh, you know, Allah better. And secondly, the reason why I also wanted to get you on this podcast talking about will and all, we, we have a guest speaker sign up form and that's where we got in touch with you. This uh, is uh, Nuru. Um, I, I did read your little bit of your background and I felt like this was actually a an appropriate podcast for you uh, because we're discussing the will of God and how that has got to play in your life. So I'm sure like you have a lot of um, clarifications and queries with yeah. regards to how everything has played out in your life and also like sometimes we marvel at how amazing that like some bad events that we think right we perceive to be bad and that brings us like, to the best things that we have in life for me it's mm-hmm. the same um so that's that's actually what we're going to be tackling today understanding a little bit more of so thank you so much for sharing with us your story to start this session off so uh, inshallah uh, bismillah you can start us off by summarizing the previous episode for us thank you Ustaz. bismillah
2: Thank you, Brother Siddiq, and thank you also, Sister Nurul Ayn, for sharing your beautiful story with all of us. inshallah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given you a lot of strength. May Allah continue to give you strength and perseverance, patience, and also bless you and your family, inshallah Now, the, our the, the whole thinking through... Uh, series is for us to be able to not uh, bring about more uh, doubts about the existence of God, but the discussions that we are having uh, in breaking it down into the respective topics from the Islamic worldview to the understanding of God to the nature of the human being. And then today where we are going to talk about the nature of the universe or the environment that is around us is to bring us closer to the transcendent because the more faith faith is something which we do not inherit faith is not something that we follow blindly faith is something that we need to continuously renew itself not only the renewal of faith is done all right via our salat when we are doing our shahada in our tahiyat when we are sitting down But the renewal of faith also comes in in how do we ensure that our understanding of God on his own, God's relation with us, God's relation with the environment, our relation with the environment, all this fit into the idea of divine unity. So the purpose of why we need to answer some of these big questions is is to help us navigate uh, this difficult terrain when our mind sometimes requires clarity. So when we talk about the nature of God and the nature of the human being, right, uh, the one that always comes about is the will and the power of God with the will and the power of the human being. Because these things are so directly affect uh, it directly affects us. Right? It directly affects us. So in our previous episode, we describe the nature of the human being, where within the Islamic worldview, we explain the idea of the freedom of choice, ikhtiar in Arabic, which is guaranteed for all human beings. Therefore, now the inherent meaning of freedom of choice is the innate ability in us to choose goodness. Because of the term ikhtiar comes from the word good, khair, so therefore, the freedom of choice here, when it is translated, a more accurate way of looking at it is that the nature of the human being that it has an innate ability to be able to choose goodness whenever it comes to a point where it needs to make any form of decision. When choice are being made that produce effects that are irresponsible, then it means that we have forego the freedom of choice that is built inside our innate system. Now, this freedom of choice given to us comes with responsibility. So the idea of human beings having innate rights, independent of his acceptance of God, independent of his fulfillment of his function as God's vicegerent or trustee on earth is a totally alien concept within not only the Islamic worldview, but if you look at it also in many spiritual traditions that has guided humanity from the very beginning. Now, when we want to understand the relationship of God and us, we need to always look from the perspective of incomparability and similarity, from the perspective of the names of beauties and the names of majesty. When we understand the power of God, in relation to our power, we must also have in our mind the divine wisdom and the divine twin attributes of mercy that permeates the world of creation. Now, in the final analysis, when we are understanding this relationship, beauty has precedence over majesty. Forgiveness is preferred over reckoning. Mercy is preferred over wrath. That is our relationship with God, the
0: Creator. Alright, thank you so much for the brief summary of uh, what we discussed last episode. It was a very interesting discussion and I think personally I, I learned a lot from the previous episode. So, uh, I'd like to conclude, you know, the discussion about our view um, with this question that I'd like to pose which I also think about in between the recording of our previous episode and right now. And the question is, why does Allah not make us die early if He knows that we're going to be sinners?
2: <laughs> Alright. <laughs> it is a... Well, it's a tough question, but it's a perennial question. Okay? No, it is not the first time that this question has been asked. Right? In the ninth century, right, our Muslim theologians were debating on a similar scenario like this. And that discussion that the Muslim theologians had gave rise to a development of a system of thought on to ensure that God's omnipotence is maintained within the understanding of the general population they developed a very original cosmological system, the system of the universe based on the theory of atomism, which baffled modern physicists. In general, the task of the theologians were to make sense of revelation and develop cohesive explanation to clarify the verses and make them consistent with what we know about the world from other sources, including our daily experience. So therefore, those questions are relevant and important because it comes from our daily experience. The differences in opinions and explanation about God, the cosmos or the nature of the human being have very little to do with the idea of creator and creation. Comprehensive cosmological theories develop due to trying to make sense on the nature of the human action. So the explanation given are to place the human responsibilities of his or her actions and God's omnipotence in its correct place to help us in our understanding. Again, this discussion are not about doubting God as its existence cannot be denied based upon the cosmological, ontological and teleological argument which we presented in the first episodes. So as the Muslim... Right? Belief in revelation, which indicates the various attributes and names of God. And we human have traces of these names and attributes. The multiple facets of the discussion are meant to bring certainty. So as God do not need our obedience, does not depend on any of our worship. It is us who depends on him as he is the necessary existence, a term that I have explained in episode number two. Now, the answer to the above question is that, as we have discussed previously, when we understand God and his relation to the human being, we need to understand from both the names of beauty and the names of majesty, from the understanding of his power with his wisdom. Existence, this is very important. Existence or living, being alive, is much more preferred than non-existence or being dead. Or we can say that being in existence is nobler than being in non-existence. In simpler terms, being alive is more preferable state than death. When we are alive, there is where we are able to carry out our twin trusts bestowed upon us, which are not given to any other creation. When being alive, we are capable of manifesting all the names of God in the most balanced and equilibrium way has required the condition and time that we are in. The natural disposition of human being is not sinning as the freedom of choice is always directed towards choosing the good over the bad. When we are in balance, that is where we choose sin. Choose not to obey law. God, knowing our nature and situation does not require us to be completely sinless. It is not in our nature not to sin. Our nature is needed like how dough of a bread is needed perfectly with the ingredients. We are needed with praiseworthy characters and blameworthy characters perfectly in us. God loves those who ask for forgiveness, loves those who repent, Love those who reflect upon their daily activities and seek improvement. All of this can only be done when we are alive. Death stops all activities and it stops all possibility of exhibiting the names of beauty and the names of majesty. Death stops the possibility of asking forgiveness and forgiving others. Death stops the activity of repenting. Our guaranteed choice, freedom of choice, allows us to determine our state in the afterlife, a topic which I will cover in subsequent episodes. Our state in the afterlife is in our hands, so life provides the possibility of ensuring joyful life in the afterlife.
0: Thank you, Ustaz. Uh, I think that was a very good response. Um, I wanted to share a little bit of my thoughts regarding this um, question as well, now that um, you shared your answer and we've had a good perspective on it. Um, I think one of the follow-up questions, or the question can also be rephrased as um, why why do not why do I not want to just die and not try? If I know like in eventually like I'm going to uh, be a sinner, anyways. Um as, as Usta said, I think the, the the phrase when you mentioned, you know, being alive is more noble than than the state of being dead, because you can still strive. You can still try, you can still ask for repentance. And and in Islamic text, you know, it, it says that Allah loves the people who repent. And and truly also, you know, I I also learned when learning about Islam is that there is also a narration of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam who mentioned that if we are people who did not sin, then we will be replaced with another uh, group of people who sin. Because the thing about sinning is not about the sin itself, but Allah loves that we feel guilty and we repent to him. So I think like being alive, um, still gives us a chance, all the way, even though, you know, all the way onto our deathbed, if we are able to repent sincerely, then it is still possible that, you know, we, we, we appeal to the side of goodness that 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 is in our innate selves, and then we gain the mercy and the forgiveness of God. And eventually, we gain uh, paradise you know, hereafter. So, that's something that, um, I thought about when, when when you were sharing the answer with us, and I think there's something that really helps myself in understanding this question. So thank you for that, Ustaz. Um, that is it about episode three. A good summary, a good food for thought question, and of course, as we always say, this is not a definitive answer. We we totally we definitely understand that. So if any further questions, any uh further queries, we'll love to answer them. Uh, just reach out to us via our Instagram page. So we'll move on to uh episode four, which is today, and uh, we're gonna talk about the universe because. Um, we understand uh, creation and cre- creator in, in, in terms of three realms, right? Ourself, man, God as the creator, and then universe as the creation itself, you know, the creation of God, all creation of God. We are part of the universe. So uh, I'll get Ustaz to share about the relationship between man and the, and the environment around us. Bismillah, Ustaz. All right.
2: Thank you very much. Now uh, the vision and reality of the universe once we have that, then we will look at how the universe is related to God, and then how it's also related to the human being. Now, what is the meaning of the universe, or a more or the world, or a more sexy word we call it cosmos? Yeah, so, very flowery word we call it cosmos. Right, the term cosmos is the opposite of chaos, meaning that the universe is not something that has no structure or order but a well-ordered creation with laws that governs it. That's why the word cosmos has been used. Now, within the Islamic worldview, the cosmos is defined as other than God. Meaning, if we were to look at it like a Venn diagram, okay, there will be only two circles, the creator circle and the creation circle. The only member in the creator set is God. And the rest of the members are all in the second circle of the Venn diagram. Now, from an incomparability perspective, which we talked about in the last session, something, alright, the two sets do not intersect, as the member in any of the set cannot be the uh, inside the other set. A creation cannot be a creator, and a creator is not similar to the creation. However, from a similar or immanence perspective, the creation set is a subset of the creator set. Right? You. Forget subset Venn diagram, please take out your O level Maths textbook. Again, and then you look at the Venn diagrams. And then you will understand what I mean by a subset. Okay, now, let us, let us continue, uh, continue now. So, Islamic worldview uh, uh, does not confine this term, which is the cosmos, right, to just the visible cosmos, regardless of how vast it is. It includes all other worlds that are beyond the unaided and aided sites of the human being. The world is a created existence as how we established in this fact in the previous episode. Now let us confine our discussion to the visible world. Within the visible world, we know that there is a proper structure and hierarchy of the different world. The world of the minerals, the world of the plants, the world of the animals, and the world of the human beings. Although all these various hierarchy exist within the physical cosmos. Each one of them is unique to its constituents that it sustains. Each of the world are in a proper order and balance within itself and across the others. Human beings who are given the freedom of choice and power is able to affect changes to these various hierarchy of worlds as each world is dependent upon another, our decisions and actions affect this balance and equilibrium. Now, that is understanding about right, the nature of the world. Yeah? And when we confine it to the physical world. So now, how is the world related to God? Within Islamic worldview, no matter how vast or large the cosmos is, the universe is never viewed as an independent reality self-creating, self-regulating, and self-operating. The world is always connected to the divine reality. It is sustained by him and it returns to him. Allah is the origin and the end of the universe. He is also the inner meaning of all things and even the outer outward signs or the outer aspects of things reflect this, his names and qualities. The universe is not an independent order of reality, it relies at every moment of its existence upon the divine sustenance. So the Islamic worldview does not entertain God as a clockmaker that creates the clock and let the clock runs on its own. When the clock is spoiled, the clockmaker comes back and then go and correct it. Yeah, so it does not look at it, the relationship between the cosmos with God as God has the clockmaker. No, the sustainment of the Islamic uh, uh, islamic world or the islamic universe is always constantly in relation to god now moreover the laws the harmony and orders all comes from him the incredible harmony of the created order is reflection of tauhid of the manifestation of the one in the world or multiplicity now a question can be asked is how the world has been created How has the world been created? Now, scientific theories gave us two theories, the Big Bang theory and the steady state theory. Within the Islamic intellectual heritage, philosophers, scientists, theologians, and mystics came up with different theories of creation. These multiple pictures of the creation of the universe shows that different focus was given by different groups of scholars in making sense of their relationship with divine unity and the multiplicity of creation. One way of describing is not sufficient as human beings are diverse and have various interests. As we have stressed before, unity within Islamic worldview does not imply uniformity. The various theories of creation are diverse but are also united in showing how the cosmos is related to the creator. Some of these theories that has been, cre- that has been uh, put forth by our scholars, which was as early as the 8th century. Are theories like the theory of emanation, the latency theory of creation, the continuous theory of creation, and the self-unfolding theory of creation. So I'm giving you the name of the theories. You are interested, you go and look up on them. All right, there are books that have been written all right, about these respective theories uh, given by our Muslim scholars as early as the 8th century. Now, Islamic worldview also views the world as symbols and signs that brings and lead to a greater power, different from modern thinkers that forbids bringing God into the discussion of the cosmos Islamic worldview, on the other hand, view the natural natural phenomena as signs and indication of God. With that, the world is not just studied for its own end, but for a purpose of pointing towards a bigger reality. Stopping at reading the world at itself is like taking the signboard as the reality of where the signboards are actually leading. Now, more uh, more interestingly, Islamic intellectual tradition relates the revelation and the cosmos as the twin revelations of God. One is called signs of God that are recited, which refer to revelation, which is the Quran for us, and signs of God that are manifested in the cosmos, which is our external environment. Accordingly, both these signs complement each other and are in harmony, as both come from the same source, which is God. Let me Now use some examples to illustrate this relation with respect to the names of God. Our current knowledge of the cosmos indicates to us the vastness of the cosmos. From the solar system to the universe and galaxies and Milky Ways, clusters of galaxies and others where the bigger system embraces the smaller ones. This vastness of the cosmos points towards the name of God, al wa the vast, the all embracing. Another illustration is the beauty that can be seen in the cosmos. This beauty is seen in various places in the cosmos, from the colorful flowers to the high mountain, from the atomic structures to the Milky Way. This beauty cannot happen accidentally or coincidentally. This beauty points towards the names of beauty of the Creator. That is how, in a nutshell, the universe is related to the creator.
0: Okay, thank you Ustaz for giving a uh, introduction about the universe. So I'll just have one or two points. Um, I think the first point is that um, when you talk about the universe, it's, it's always very interesting to ponder about how the universe started. We have a lot of different theories, right? Even in the circular world. And then we, you also mentioned that there are also theories that stem from Islamic tradition. You, you listed those and inshallah, if those uh, those want to find out a little bit more about these theories, you guys can uh, research and read up on it yourselves. Um, Firstly, we have all these theories. It's not to um, prove that the, the universe came into existence without God, but rather it is really to understand how um, the cosmos came out, came from the, the creation of God. And all of these theories will point to the same thing, even though there are different interpre- interpretations on how it came about. So that's something that you mentioned that I find it very interesting. Another thing about, um, another summary about uh, the universe and its relationship with God, with God is that, as, as you mentioned, uh, as you mentioned that, um, you know, God is not a, a, a clockmaker and it's, it's, it's not like the, the creation was created and then uh, left independently. And it's always amazing to know that, you know, every single moment of time, every second, everything that happens in the vast universe, we mentioned how vast it was just now, you know, it is all dependent on God, which um, to me, it feels very intuitive to understand. So there's also another um, side of this where how we relate the universe to the human being and that will complete the understanding of the universe, which we will explore today. And then in the next episode, we'll explore how the universe uh, how the understanding of this universe, the nature of the universe and our relationship with the universe can answer some of the questions we have about inequality. So now I'll pass my time on to Usas to talk about, to finish up the picture of how we understand universe by talking about the relationship of us human beings, men and the universe around us. Bismillah Ustaz.
2: Yeah, Thank you, Sudeik. Now, Muslims see the laws of nature not as independent laws which go on their own way as if the world had an ontological independence of its own. Now, we sees uh, this law has reflection of the wisdom of God and also as a result of his will. If God who has willed the sun to rise every morning in the east and set in the west, that creates fly in the air or swim in the sea, it is incredible that so many verses of the Quran refer to the most profound laws which govern the natural order far from opposing man's knowledge of the natural world. The Quran continuously encourages human being to study the natural order while accepting that this knowledge of the world must always be subservient to the knowledge of God and must always be based on the awareness that the world is not totally independent by itself, but that it derives its being's laws. Harmony and transformation from the source of all being, which is Allah. In a profound sense, one might say that the whole of nature is Muslim, meaning that it has surrendered itself totally to the will of Allah. All creatures follow the nature which Allah has given to them. A pear tree will always bear pears, a fish always remain, remain true to the nature of the fish. A bird and a bird to that of a bird, a horse to his horseness if I can use the term now. All right, an end to its endness, to be to its beeness, right, to its very nature. It is only us, only us human beings, who has been given the freedom of rebellion against our own primordial nature. Therefore, the created world or the world of nature is a constant reminder. For us, of what it means to be a perfect Muslim, in the sense of being surrendering to God's will in the perspective of the human being, choosing freely to submit our will to his will. Right? Now, while God gives human beings the power to rule over all things, through the fact that Allah God taught Prophet Adam the names of all things also gives us the responsibility of custodianship over the created order. The subjugation, the subservience of nature does not mean a selfish and blind conquest and domination of nature by us. It means living in harmony with nature, seeing in nature all right, God's wisdom, and making use of the natural bounties wisely in accordance with our final end, which is to live as a good human being and return to the creator. The moral laws of Islam, in a sense, extend beyond human society to embrace the animals, the plants, the minerals, and in fact, the whole of the inanimate world. So it includes even stones, those that does not have life. To live as a good Muslim in this world is to see the wisdom of God everywhere and to care for his creation as he cares for us and that creation himself. The good Muslim must always remember that God who has created, sustained and preserved the remarkable harmony, diversity and beauty of the natural order and who has bestowed rights for other creatures and placed responsibility upon us for them. It is only us who is able to ensure that each and every creation are able to carry out or are able to meet the purpose of their very creation. There are various pictures of the universe that we can use to describe our relationship with the cosmos. One of these relationships that I would like to elaborate more is the universe role or more specifically the environment or the world of nature around us, because we are facing great environmental crisis and ecological imbalance. The world around us has a teacher to the human being. One of the spiritual significance of the total submission of the cosmos to the divine is reflected in the moral ethical lessons that nature teaches the human being. Nature can be regarded as the moral mentor for human beings, to the moral quality that, nature, that the natural order emanates to the human being, has both the teacher and the object of knowledge. So nature is what we study, but at the same time, nature is also our teacher. So nature plays dual role as a teacher and as an object of knowledge. The world of nature plays both an active and a passive role in human being's quest for knowledge and wisdom through it. For example, the Malay idiom, ikut resmi padi makin berisi semakin tunduk, which, which literally means that follow the way of the paddy. The more that you have grown, the more that you will uh, bow down. Okay? depicts the character of humility that human being must possess with the increase in his knowledge. A paddy that has matured will be of great use to others because of the rice grain that it contains at the top of its stalks, with a staple food for the Malays. Despite knowing its beneficial role to others, the paddy still stands with its most valuable possession easily accessible to the human being and pointing towards the ground. As more of the rice grain accumulates at the top of the stock, the lower will it bow, approaching the earth, its origin and source of existence. The lowering of the self is a gesture and a reminder to those who are reaping the benefits from the paddy to use the rice grain responsibly. A person who is given the privilege of containing knowledge and wisdom must not develop intellectual arrogance but seek to serve his people with the knowledge and wisdom he has. His moral character will be the mark of his status status, as being a valuable person to the society. The receivers of the knowledge and wisdom must act upon this wisdom and humility, a two-way relationship between the giver and the receiver. I'm not just saying that only within the Malay society, but idioms and proverbs that are also found in other societies also depicts the same picture. I, I, can, I, cannot, pronoun, I cannot pronounce the, uh, or I cannot say it in fluent Mandarin, okay? the same uh, idiom that is found in the Chinese culture that also talk about the paddy field with the same moral ethical values. When I was doing one of my research all right, on an alternative vision, of science from the Eastern uh, spiritual cultures, I make a comparison of the Malay literature and also the Chinese literature and found there are so many idioms that was talking about the same object of nature and it came out with the same moral and ethical values, which denotes to us that nature has some form of permanence in that in relation to God and in relation to us. Now, in looking at the relationship between human beings and the physical environment, where human beings occupy a privileged position, we are looking from the qualitative dimension of this relation. With definite claim, human beings are small and weak when compared to the mountains and predator animals that fill the earth. But in terms of the human being's knowledge, power, and will, we definitely dominate all other creations. All distinction lies within our inward self, despite the small size. They contain all the elements that define the creatures of the physical space. Beyond the elements, beyond the elemental materials or the power of the physical senses that the human body has and can perform, human beings possess all the faculties that define the existence of the mineral, the vegetable, and the animal world. Each of these will have some definitive faculties that separate them from the others but human beings integrate all of these faculties into a complete unit and manifest them in the highest possible perfection in other words there will be no there will be no creation that will come to the human being and question us why are you doing this to us our observation and study of the world of nature give rise to all various subject matters from astrophysics to physics, chemistry, biology, geology and many other subject matters are result of our interaction with our world. Within the worldview of Islam, these subject matters are to uncover the mysteries and treasures inherent within the respective subject matters the uncovering of the operating divine law, the uncovering of the harmony and balance that, that exists within the world should bring human being closer to God instead of making us more arrogant and rebel against His will. So human beings submitting to God's will does not make them fatalistic, but instead directs our intellect reason towards higher level of knowledge and making us perfect in our knowledge of the self through understanding the external world, which we call a macrocosm, and us, the microcosm, each reflecting the other. This is how, in a nutshell, how we should be relating to the external world from an Islamic worldview, not from a reductionist worldview that converts the world just into physical, biological, and chemical reaction which can be dominated and controlled. Thank you so much, Roustas, for that explanation.
0: So I'll also share some concluding thoughts before I pass the time to assist Nuru to hand us off for the uh, for the podcast today. When we look at the universe itself, sometimes we tend to forget and we tend to just zoom in onto our own perspective of everything around us pertaining to ourselves. But I think like Islamic worldviews cause upon us to think of something Bigger something um you know beyond ourselves and and see everything around us as a way to remind us and allow us to discover the vastness the the greatness the wisdom of God, and when we apply this understanding when we apply things that happen to us um in in some of the events in our lives we start to realize that perhaps you know when something as something we see as a tragedy you know and and we don't want to go through that again perhaps that has brought us to you know one of the best periods of our life where we are the most God conscious or we decided to work on ourselves a little bit more a lot of self-improvement we, we, we realize that we progress a lot as people so when, when we look back with like uh, the benefit of hindsight we realize that a lot of these uh, perceived tragedies in our lives sometimes bring us the biggest of blessings the biggest of um, you know progress to ourselves so truly when we start to see everything around us the whole universe as um you know, creation that, that enables us, facilitates us in our understanding of God, then we actually change in our behavior with them. As Ustas mentioned, when we see them as a teacher, then we respect them like how they are teachers. And, and truly, it, it's truly the imbalance of how we understand uh, our relationship with the universe or or, or or to just zoom in like us and the world around us, this earth, this is why so many issues have have happened in the past century or two. So um, thank you so much for that sharing, Ustaz. Um, I hope that I've contextualized it enough for most of our listeners here. If not, we'll tr- attempt again in the, next, in the summary of the, uh, that we're going to do in the next episode. But right now, let's jump on to Sis Nuru to listen to some of her thoughts. You, know, um, with this, you, you shared with us a little bit of a common story. I know a lot of things have, have happened in your life. And, and as Muslims, naturally, we have some questions we have about things that happen to us, to, to other people, or you know, wh- wh- why are things like that in, in, in the world of nature? So the, uh, how has this podcast helped you in understanding or does it give you some clarifications?
1: Right, uh, first of all, that, uh, thank you so much for today's topic because it's it's like uh, like what Brother Kevin said, it really uh, answers to a few of my uh, of, of the questions and doubts I had actually. So uh, yeah, it, it's actually true that you know sometimes we do ask ourselves like you know, uh, like you know, after like, through my past stories and all, sometimes I ask myself, okay, why am I the one that has to be, why are so many humans on earth? Why am I the one in orphanage? age? Why am I the one that's going to be, you know, that, that has to stay in a home? Why do I have to face these kind of things in life and all that? It it really, um it's something that actually really wakes me up that to never actually just be complaining and always appreciate what they have in life and all. Uh, I think today's topic has really opened my, really, really, uh, actually give me a knowledge of uh, the certain of the doubts I, uh, I actually had all this while, he actually gave me the explanation on how I should actually look at it, and I think, yeah, I might go and check on the research though, seems interesting to go and check, yeah, I think I think I probably would go and do that
0: Alhamdulillah, thank you so much, uh, Sister Nuru, for your clarifications. And I, I pray that all of us here has, have gotten a little bit about the understanding of the universe around us from today's session. But if, if you have not, then fret not. We have another episode that will clarify some of the understandings that we've, we've shared today and also explore more questions that you guys have sent in, the questions that converts or even people exploring Islam have about um, how the understanding of this universe around us pertains to our faith and our understanding of life itself. So, stay tuned to the next episode. And for now, I would just like to get uh, Ustaz to help us end off the podcast by reciting Tasbih Kafara and Surah to Asr.
2: Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Subhanakallahumma. Wabihamdika. Ashadu an la <laughs> ilaha illa anta astawthuruka wa atubu ilaih. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Al asri al insana la fi khasrin illa alladina amanu. Wa amilu salihati wa tawasub al haqq wa tawasub al sabr. Sallallahu ala hayri khalki Muhammad wa ala ajma'in. الحمد لله رب العالمين
0: الحمد لله السلام عليكم الله وبركاته